You're listening to... That's cut in box. <laughs> See, I, I I came in with like so much punch the last couple times. I'm like, yeah, forget it. Yeah. You got something. Truth call it a slider? Uh, I don't know. Baseball. Or a changeup. Could be a changeup. Change okay. Or a slider. Yeah. Sport ball, ball reference. That's right. Could be any of those. Yeah. So, yeah. Subscribe. Whatever. Visit. Hey, wait. Whatever. What number are we on? Oh, wait. This is oh, 189. Yeah, 189. There we go. All right. Okay, so with that, you can uh, visit us at codingblocks.net where you can find all the show notes, examples, discussions, and much, much more. You can send your feedback, questions, and rants to comments at codingblocks.net. And follow us on Twitter at codingblocks or head to codingblocks.net and find all our social links at the top of the page. You know, it's that- been 189 episodes. That's been our like our intro thing, right? Like all of that. Yeah. 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 But I different, that's why. Different I like, orders. Yeah. Different well, orders. I, and and I didn't exactly follow it this time. No, no, that's pretty good. You know, we actually record this ahead of time. Oh, so yeah. listeners, you may not know this, but um, you know, it's different every time. But we actually recorded all of the intros for the last nine years, all basically in that first week, and we've just been kind of sprinkling them out throughout. That's can you right. believe it's nine years though? Like, can we acknowledge that for a moment? Like, oh man. Well, it may we've not be. I'm aged. not great with numbers. We've aged. We're a quarter older than we were when we started. Quarter, yeah, speak ooh, for geez. yourself. 21 yeah, over ooh. here. I got this. Yeah, right. <laughs> the ageless Michael Outlaw. Oh, by the way, who are you? I'm Joe Zach. Okay. Oh, jeez. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> what are we doing? <laughs> got him off I'm guard. sorry. Exactly. I'm sorry, Joe. I didn't mean to. Uh, well, let's start it. I, okay. I'm Alan Underwood. I'm Michael Outlaw. Uh, you're still Joe. Wait, no, this doesn't work. Yeah. I think we should probably just get to the episode. Yeah, let's do it. <laughs> let's do it. But first, a bit of news. Yeah. So we have we have a review this time, and I didn't even see it. So yep. uh, Outlaw's yep. going to This is what in. happens when we don't let Jay-Z do the reviews anymore. Guess what happens? We get some reviews. So thank you, Fizzy, Buzzy, Beezy. That's well, pretty yeah, awesome. That's awesome. Uh, great. Hey, also a little bit of news here. So I am going to be doing an in-person presentation at a new meetup here in Orlando, the Elastic uh, Elastic Search Meetup in Orlando, and it's uh, Wednesday, July twenty seventh. So this episode will be out before then, and we'll be talking about running Elastic on Kubernetes. So come check it out. Uh, I got some shit, and so you can try to kick him if you're fast enough. Wait, what's this in-person stuff you t- you speak of? Like, I never heard of that. It's like virtual, but you actually have to go there and like, park. And that stuff. sounds oh, awful. Why would anyone do that? <laughs> Virtual in person. That's a new thing. Yeah, that's right. there's stickers and stuff. Oh, there you go. All right. All right. So, are you going to um, have some coding block swag to give out? Yeah. Oh, oh. you do, right? Yeah. Good. Yeah. Excellent. All right. So, before we get into this episode, which is going to be about the new 2022 Stack Overflow survey, I had something I wanted to discuss. So, I brought it up. Oh, this is a trick. It's not even in the show notes, Joe. He's like, Oh, no, it is. It is. It's, it even says what? before we get into Oh, yeah. Survey. Okay. It is. It's in a different uh, section. Actually, every word he just said is written, written yeah. out right there. Exactly. Uh, okay. So I, I brought this up on Slack and I put it out there. And design pattern evangelist uh, Jim Hummelstein, he's also written something about this as well. And it, I just, we've talked about this in the past before, but I want to reiterate it because it's super important. 
it it bit me recently and I know why it bit me and and I'm going to explain it quickly but here's the gist of it if you were writing an API let's call it just a restful API or whatever I don't even care but if you're writing an API don't put any of your implementation code in that same project or module just don't do it and and I say this because ultimately that API, we've talked about this, the endpoint itself should have almost no implementation, right? Outside of maybe security filters or things like that, but it's going to call into an implementation somewhere. What I'm saying is make that implementation another module somewhere okay. and import that into the project. Okay. Can I say this a different way? Because when I when I read this, like it was kind of confusing, even the way you worded it. But I think what you're saying, if I'm understanding, is like don't make the API part of the web project, right? Because then it's then you have the web server stuff baked into it. Like make it a part of it. Like make make the API to access it, like you know, part of the web API. But the the the, the true API that's being called behind the scenes is in like another library that can be tested and can be like reloaded in a command line interface or loaded as part of a website or reloaded as part of a desktop application, whatever. Totally that. So if you have a web API, yeah, so I, I can see why it would be confusing, right? Depending on the terminology, the actual implementation of whatever it is that you want it to do should be separate from whatever API is calling that stuff. Right. And and I'll give an example why, because somebody asked me about it when I brought this up on, on Slack the other day. And, and we ran into this, on a project that me and Joe Zach are working on. And and here's the reality. Like when we stood up our web API, our endpoint for our consumers to use, we put some stuff in there because we needed to get stuff done quickly. Right. And breaking things out into modules and setting things up to publish and do all that. Like it takes time. And, and we didn't have that time. Well, I ran into a situation like, I'll give an example of something that, that could happen. Let's say that you're writing software for for a multi-tenant type thing. Let's say that you're writing a service that's multi-tenanted. Well, chances are you're not going to store each tenant's data in the same database if you're using databases. Or if you're using Elasticsearch, like Joe Zach's going to be doing a talk on, they probably have their own indexes, right? Like you separate things out and they might even be on different servers and in different clusters and all that. And so you're going to have logic to say, Hey, if, if I have, if I'm trying to access Michael outlaws data, how do I get to that database? Right? There's going to be something that tells you how to get there. How do I get to outlaws search data in Elasticsearch? There's going to be something that tells you how to get there. And what can happen is over time, you're going to need things that access that API. Well, that API is going to start injecting other modules into it. Well, some of those other modules might need access to those same things that know how to get to those databases. And so now if you inject that module into that web API endpoint, the only way it knows how to call is through an HTTP request, which is basically like it calling itself through the most inefficient possible way there is. If those pieces have been broken out, right? Like if you had your how to access my Postgres database over here and how to access my Elasticsearch in another module, those could have been imported into your web API project and then they can just be used. And anything else that might need to use those modules that might need access to those same type things can inject those into their projects. 
And so now you don't have these circular dependency type things that are really hard to unwind after you've put them in place. Right. And that's, that's kind of why I was like, man, I got I got to get this out there. Maybe this will save somebody down the road. If they're getting ready to start something, just break that stuff out into separate modules. And we talked about it in clean architecture and clean code, like drawing the lines and, and where to inject things and where those boundaries should be. It's really hard to do sometimes, especially when you're under the gun to get things done. But yeah, I think I even did this, but, and I like now I was like, yeah, of course you should have the web stuff totally separate. One thing I hate though is like the, the obvious answer is kind of have a core library, just like one, you know, big stupid core thing, but then that's uh, I know that's the anti-pattern, but what's the alternative? Like you start breaking up into modules that you may or may not need based on what you think things are going to be like and how you think it's going to be used. So it, everything's gross. Software is gross. It's, it's not easy. I mean, we've de- I feel like we've definitely covered this before though, but, or something similar. But yeah, I mean, I, I know that even in past projects that we've hit where like, you know, we've had a desire for like some kind of functionality that, you know, might have, uh, somebody might've baked into like a specific web API call and year later, like, Oh, I want to reuse that functionality in a command line interface, but in its current implementation, I can't. And so I am forced to break it out. But if you just started with it that way, then, you know, you, you would, you wouldn't have had to go with that. But also like, I don't know. I mean, I feel like we as software developers, we're, we are extremely hard on ourselves, right? Because like, you know, we will say stuff like that and it almost feels like, well, don't let good enough stand in the way of perfect because also I don't know how I'm going to use that thing. And so when I do know that I'm going to use it, then like, you know, okay, it, it, that's a fine time to break it out. But, you know, if I didn't do it the first time, I don't know that I'm necessarily going to beat myself up about it. Is it the best pattern? Absolutely not, right? It would definitely be better to go ahead and have that thing already broken out ahead of time. Because even then, like, you know, it definitely is like, the the other downside is if you, if you didn't break it out is that, uh, you know, you, you, how are you testing that thing? You probably aren't right. <laughs> you know, cause, cause you know, unless you're like creating a mock web server as part of your test, which man, that sounds gross, but uh, I don't know. Well, so I have a couple extra thoughts on that too. Like what, what you said about, we don't put implementation in the endpoint itself. Some people will be like, okay, well that's fine. I won't put it there. I'll just create another class in the same project. And then it'll call that class. And then that class is reusable amongst other things in there, but then it's not reusable by external components, right? Like it, that, that's really the rub there. Um, what's interesting is like, I wanted to give an example, like where you could almost mentally sort of break this down, right? Like what I said, where, you know, you have your, your search indices and it needs to know how to get there. So you could easily see, Okay, let's break that thing down into a component, right? Like we're going to have our elastic search infrastructure type component, right? That knows how to get there. And then we're going to have our Postgres infrastructure type component that knows how to get to this tenants database over here. But I don't think, at least in my mind, I don't think that the right way to use those is whenever you're writing your next thing um, and you need to update some tenant data. I don't necessarily think that you just start munching all those things together. That's where like at least bits of domain driven design come into my head. And I'm like, you should probably have a module that's for tenant management. Right. And then, and then maybe another module for some other th- type thing. And then those modules can bring in the Postgres and the Elasticsearch things and they know how to use it. So the problem is right. 
it ends up being multiple layers. And that's why I said it's easy not to do that stuff up front. Cause when you're just trying to get stuff done, you're like, Hey, I know how to get to this database. I know how to get to there. I'm going to just code this stuff to make it work. The problem is, and this really comes up when you start using, um, dependency injection type, um, like inversion of control type stuff, like spring framework really forces you to think about how you want to do this stuff because everything's getting created for you behind the scenes. And it's really easy to start creating these circular dependencies. So yeah, as soon as you, you are out of the, uh, construct object construction job, then you have to think about things differently. But I mean, I, I get it. I just, uh, I don't know. Like I said, I, I feel like sometimes we're just so hard on ourselves. Like, Oh man, why did I, why did I miss that? Like, you know, and, and, like I said, I mean, don't, don't let good enough stand. You, you, the thing that drives me wild about it is like, you know, you look at like all of the, all of the things that we've talked about over the years, right? Like all the different, uh, you know, the best practices and patterns and anti patterns and like what you should and shouldn't do. And if you try to like start up a startup company, right? If you try to, if you try to start a startup, is that right? Start up a startup yeah, and, so. yeah. and you know, and you, adhere to all of those right, right from the get go. Like how would you even get your, your minimum viable product out there? Right. You, the MVP would never see the light of day. Right. And it'd be so good. You'd still be trying to set up, <laughs> set up your DevOps pipeline before you even yeah. got to it. And then you're like, okay, I think that's ready to go. Now let's right. focus on authentication. Wait, right? DevOps, not until we got our security model figured out. That's right. That's yeah. Right. I, so, so I mean, that's why I say that like, I don't know. We, we, we gotta be a little bit forgiving with ourselves sometimes, you know, and like, eh, whatever. Oh, 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 that's one other thing. And I totally agree, right? Like you cannot absolutely cannot start something and think that you're going to make it perfect, right? Like that's not even possible. It's not within the realm of reality. However, the reason this came up so much is if you happen to be using different applications or different technologies that might share the same type code like Java, right? Java is a perfect example. If you're working in Kafka applications or Kafka streams applications or Flink applications or, or whatever, if you write a library that says, Hey, I know how to connect to Elasticsearch for this tenant. You can now reuse that module across different areas, right? And that's where it really starts to bite you. If you don't think about that stuff up front a little bit, because now you find yourself copying and pasting code all over the place. And guess what happens when they decide that they're going to change the way that they assign tenants to clusters. Now, all that, those places you copied and pasted that code, you got to go find all that and fix it. So it's, I I guess what I'm saying is like, that's a different anti-pattern there there right because like it, in that scenario that you're describing you saw a need for it a second time somewhere else and rather than refactor it out into something that was reusable you copy and pasted and that's that's definitely bad i mean that that's the point at which like you can say okay it's now time to make this thing something else right i mean none of what you're saying is wrong i'm I, i'm not trying to suggest that any of that is wrong right you know right no, no, you, what you're saying is absolutely correct, right? Like you have to. There's some give and you take. You can't go. Yeah, yeah, you can't go ever after everything whole hog, right? Like you just don't have the time. You don't have the resources, whatever. And and to your point about like when you saw that you needed this somewhere else, you know, you can't copy and paste. Well, the thing is, and we know the reality here is 
The right way to do it is to break that thing out into a separate module, include that module in the project that was using it, include that module in the other project that's using it, find a way to publish it to whatever your artifact repository is. <laughs> like we're not talking about an insignificant amount of work, whereas copying and pasting the code is a 15 minute thing, right? So it's, it, you're, as a developer, you're always stuck in, in this, how badly do we need this now versus how much time do I have to try and do this right so that it sets us up for success in the future? And it's a hard balancing act sometimes. It really is. But my whole point in bringing this up, if you can think about how you can break out these modules up front, and if you can, don't keep them in the same project as whatever your actual API endpoints are that oh, are being yeah. called. Put them out into separate projects or modules, whatever the terminology is, depending on your language or your stack. Don't just them put them separate. as a separate namespace within the same library, or the Don't same shippable it. artifact. Right. They should Don't be in their own shippable artifact, be that a jar or a DLL or whatever it might be. And, and to your point a minute ago, Outlaw, where you, you're probably not going to know exactly how this stuff's broken out. At least if you took those initial steps, refactoring in the future, if you need to change it, won't be terrible, right? Whereas if you had it all baked into that same namespace area, it gets ugly, right? It gets really nasty really fast. Yeah, I guess, I guess like I just see like the whole the development process that like, I don't know, we read so many of these books and, and they're, they're just so like opinionated, but also like kind of like hard on ourselves about like, you should do it this way, right? Yeah, true. And at the same time, it's kind of like, you know, no, like, like take the, the TDD approach. Like I'm going to like write something ugly and I'm going to like make it work and it tests or whatever. And then like, I'll refactor it over time and refactor and refactor and refactor and refactor. And I mean, that, that's the reality. Uh, I mean, I, I don't mean to say that my code is ugly. I was refactoring Joe's, but, <laughs> right. uh, <laughs> yeah, so whatever. Yeah. But I so, mean, yeah, right. yeah. So that's, that's the reality though is you're, it, it, it's, Software development is more a life of just like you, you have an idea, you write it, you build it, you say, okay, that works. Now let me tinker with it and redo 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 it. And you're going to do that a few more times. I'm not done yet, but I'm going to stop. And you do the best you can within the constraints you have, right? Like that's the reality of it. Because there's so many times that you're not even going to know how you want to use it ahead of time. And so like, that's the, that's the thing is like, I don't know. I mean, you could make a thing a library and then never use it. So you went through all that effort for nothing, or maybe it becomes like the next hottest library that gets used by everyone. I don't know. Yep. But I tell you what I do know some numbers. Numbers. Oh yeah. So we're talking about that. We, I don't think we've said what we're talking about. Have we? I thought we did sort of. I mean, Alan kind of mentioned it. Well, don't say it now. Okay. okay. See, like, <laughs> you have to figure it out, listener. Mm-hmm. Yes. It is. You know, we're gonna keep getting toast. It's that topic <laughs> that shall not be named. Yeah. Okay. I guess it's gonna be painfully obvious here. We're talking about the Stack Overflow survey. Uh, it came out in June. Was it June twenty second? And uh, we got a couple numbers just on like where the uh, what the survey like where the results came from, and then we'll go through and talk about the numbers a little bit. Uh, like some, we'll call out some stuff we think is interesting and we're all pretty fresh on it, right? Like we didn't really dive into it. So it'd be kind of fun to just get, uh, get those hot takes, right? Yeah. But the one thing we actually did this go around is we sort of looked through some of it just to understand what they were doing this time. Uh, oh, yeah. cause I, yeah, I think last time we were kind of like just swimming around trying to figure out what some of it was. So yeah. 
Yeah, we're iterating. I'm just waiting to see how's my boy VB doing. Come on. Yeah. <laughs> I got see. big hopes for you, VB. I got big hopes. Well, let's see. No, so uh, about the... Yeah. About the survey, uh, the results came from about 73,000 developers that all were from Stack Overflow. So you can imagine, you know, it's, there's definitely a, some bias there just on how, like, the kinds of people that they got and the kinds of people that they didn't. Um, there is uh, also a very large possibility for uh, some questions to have much fewer responses. So sometimes, like, one question would lead to another. So if you said no on the first one, you're not going to get the second one. Also, sometimes you could just not answer a question. So, um, we won't call out everyone, but if you do go follow any of the links in the show notes, you can kind of see the basic numbers and stuff of respondents on each of the questions that we're talking about. I do have a couple of Jay-Z call outs for you, though. Oh, boy. I don't. I, Alan, did you know that we are in the presence of greatness? Like Jay-Z is a fortune teller. Did you know this? Oh, I did not know this. So literally one of the first lines of the Stack Overflow 2022 survey results says, Last year, we saw Git as a fundamental tool to being a developer. This year, it appears that Docker is becoming a similar fundamental tool for professional developers. Docker is the new called Git. it increasing called from fifty-five to sixty-nine percent. Yep. Oh wow! And also, wow. also, this is another one that uh, Jay Z is going to super like. And also, you know, again, where he's like, you know, leading, he he's a trailblazer, man. Like seriously, yeah. really is. People jam stack. <laughs> no, hey, it's still around. No, people learning to code are more likely to be using 3D tools than professional developers, like Unity 3D, twenty three percent versus eight percent, oh, and wow. Unreal Engine nine percent versus three. Teaching themselves skills for 3D VR and AR. Oh, very All right. Cool. So well, I'm still sold. There's Mr. Game Jam. I've not been talked out of client side for a long time. I was Mr. SSR and then I got talked into client side rendering and I'm still there. I know that SSR is having a, a resurgence, but uh, we'll see what the survey has to say about it. Cool. Um, a, a couple other things that we wanted to say here, uh, just in, in what they did when they gathered this stuff is they actually asked the people, how do they felt about the survey? Like, was it too long, too short, whatever. And 76% of people said that it was about the right length, right? So so people weren't annoyed by it, which is good. That means that they probably stuck to it and answered things. And then I was, was really surprised with that one. Though. Sorry to interrupt you. I was really surprised with that one, though, to see that like there was a large portion of the respondents that cited uh, they preferred the coding block surveys. So I was like, <laughs> okay, well, right. you know, I get it. Uh, that's awesome. Um. How easy or difficult was it to complete the survey? And 67 some odd percent said that it was pretty easy. And this was out of 70,000. How could it be hard? <laughs> I, I mean, it's about I 15 don't, minutes. Yeah, I can't took, do anything for 15 minutes straight. I yeah, mean, 15 okay, minutes. Is that, that's, that's how we're describing if something is easy or hard now is just literally the duration of time that it takes? Well, yeah, yeah, I mean, 15 minutes without being interrupted. Well, then you must meeting? hate right. sleeping because that takes several hours. I do hate sleeping. <laughs> Are you serious? That's like my favorite activity on the planet. Yeah. If, I, if I could not sleep, I would not sleep. Oh no. Okay, well, this just got weird. So then you must hate being awake because that takes several hours of your day then. It yeah, does. also. <laughs> <laughs> Beam, yeah, like, I, look, if ascension is on the table, I'm ascending. That's uh, all I'm saying. That's hilarious. Beam me up. All right, and then the the last thing that we had here is they sort of polled people to find out like what their profession is. 
And this go around, 73% of people were developers by profession. And we had some other ones like learning to code, 8.6%. Not primarily a developer, but I write code sometimes, 7.9%. And then there's some others. But so a vast majority of these people are full-time coders. Yep. So now a little bit about demographics. Should we hop into the uh, overview section? Yeah, let's do it. All right. Uh, and they've got some some nice little blocks here that kind of talk about uh, different kind of things, like things evolved from like last year and for you know four year uh, last year from last year to this year. Oh my gosh, we're not going to read through all these, but just kind of like looking for highlights or things that are kind of interesting. Um, I already mentioned the Git thing. Yes, yes, yes. Hey, hey, real quick on the on the Docker thing. Do you not find it a little bit ironic that it is such a big part of it now, and now you got to pay for it if you're working in an organization with enough people? They gotcha. Yeah, I, I mean, they had to do something, right? Like they needed to make money at some point. So yeah, it's amazing they pulled it out. Like that was a nosedive for a minute there. It was, yeah. All right. Yep. Did you see? Uh, I ro- still uh, think Russ? it's limited. I, I. I I question that move still. I mean, I get that they needed to make money, but in the long run, though, I just got to see that like a bigger player, like a Microsoft, Amazon, Google is just going to say, oh, you know what? There's like this other container management that will, you know, that does the same thing or not management, but, you know, uh, tool to to build Mm -hmm. and run and whatever. We'll just use that and make it open source and we don't need Docker. So... It'll probably happen. I mean, uh, Jay-Z's already talked about a couple of them, like Podman and, and some Rancher, others. Yeah. Rancher. I'm not advocating for it. I'm not saying I'm going to be thrilled about it, but. Eh. Yeah. Yeah. yeah All right. We'll see. It's a question of whether they ran far enough, fast enough to, to get enough of a lead. It right. is. But but Docker and Kubernetes are in the first and second place as the most loved and wanted. Mm. And I, I got to say, nice. I understand. I get it. Mm-hmm. See what I did? Yeah, I saw get, um, Russ is still a uh, seventh year as a most loved language. I don't like how you just ignore my Git joke there. Oh, get it, get it, I get it. No, you don't. No, you don't. <laughs> but I do now. I do now. Uh, but yeah, Kubernetes and Docker uh, first and second place is uh, most loved tools. Um, Phoenix overtakes Svelte Spot as the most loved web framework. What the heck is Phoenix? I don't know. Oh, I, know I was expecting Jay Z to tell me on that one because he's the trailblazer. So I thought for sure he'd be like, "Well, listen, I've already created a Jamstack site all in Phoenix." Yeah. So uh, you're familiar with Svelte? I know. Svelte. Yeah. So, okay, so it's, it's kind of a disappearing framework. Like you use it to build your stuff and it kind of goes away. It's cool. Uh, Phoenix is Elixir. Familiar with Elixir? I'm not really. You know, I've just kind of like looked at it a few times. It's supposed to be kind of like a functional s kind of language. You know, that's um, transpiles down to JavaScript. Uh, but it looks pretty nice. It uh, builds on top of Erlang as a like it's a kind of successor to Erlang. I have heard about this. It's been a couple of years ago, so it's yeah. gaining popularity now. Yeah, it's not new at all. But it's like, wait, what? What? Where did this come from? Crazy world, no doubt. Yeah, so that's interesting. Well, you you can you want to be able to gauge how well Google knows you is if you search for Phoenix, like what kind of result yeah. do you get back first? Comics. Mm. No. I got to uh, let me see. Did you get like location or library? I got location. What about you, Alan? <laughs> Phoenix Suns <laughs> basketball team. <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> 
Yeah, and I got a Fallout video coming up. Uh, Fallout, sorry, Fallout, Fallout Boy video coming up in a quick second. Well, that went down <laughs> real fast. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, so we're all switching to closure, though, is I think the takeaway. Highest paid language to know. What? Wait, I mean, where's this one? More power to <laughs> it, it was like the top paying technologies. Closure was the remains the highest paid language to know. Chef developers are the highest paid, but also the most dreaded tool. Yeah. <laughs> That's unfortunate. Didn't we, we were just talking about Chef, where is it? Like last episode? Yeah. Yeah, change Those. management. Uh, they also mentioned uh, big data and data streaming skills are well compensated, including Apache Spark, Apache Kafka, and Hadoop. Um, so that's good news for us. <laughs> We're adjacent, if not on top of those things. Mm-hmm. Oh, I forgot to mention this too, that the desire to start using Docker, uh, they say, has increased from 30 to 37%. That's pretty So, big. Yeah. Yeah. So not only is Docker the new Git, it's also the most loved and, you know, it's increasing in popularity, which I, I can't. I was thinking about this the other day. Ask yourself honestly, okay? Now, if you were to spin up from scratch any kind of like new web-related kind of project, right? Why, even if it was a small thing, why wouldn't you do it containerized in like a Kubernetes or something type of world? Like, like I can't imagine going back to a world where I would have to go buy and set up and install a server and the tools on it and then, you know, put my application on it. That sounds so awful and also so extremely dated. Yeah. I really want to know if if you're not doing containerization and you don't want to, like, what is it you like? Cause I I don't want to ship ISOs anymore. I don't want to build uh, AMI images or whatever for, you know, one of the cloud providers. Like, I don't want to run anything like, uh, you know, have a specific like bare metal kind of hardware type thing like containers. Uh, I guess I drank the Kool-Aid, but I mean, I, absolutely, that's how I would start. And even if I don't go full Kubernetes, if I've got a small project, uh, still I'm running Docker using one of the cloud like container registry or container services. But even even if it was a, a small project, though, that's what I'm saying. Like I, yeah. you can go on Linode and get start a, a Linode account and get free credits right away and yeah, you know, they there's services like Linode and others that make using Kubernetes really simple. So it's not it's not like you gotta like w- like super work for it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, it's yeah. funny you said that. So that's actually where I see that there would be some people that wouldn't necessarily jump into Docker or containers. If you don't have the skill set, then it's daunting, right? I mean, I've actually talked to people before where I'm like, look, this is what you need to do, and they're like, I don't have time. Whereas if you go into something like Linode, we've talked about it before, you can go and say, hey, I want a MariaDB, and they've got a, a, a what do they call them? They're okay. not. The, where they you have can a node. In their, in their marketplace where they'll just spin it up for you. Start yeah. it for you, right. So so you're not having to do a lot of that configuration, like what we're talking about with ISOs and all that stuff in the past. So it's it's almost like the step towards containers, and that's probably what they're doing sort of behind the scenes for you. Um but that that's the one area where I could see, okay, like 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 in so fairness, basically like, that's we're saying like if it's skill level, like if you're brand new, like if you're year one in your college degree, then you're probably going to like install stuff, and maybe even like year one, like out of college, right? Like you know, because we're, the three of us we're coming at it from the point of view of like, okay, well, 
you know, I don't, I'm not going to claim to know everything, but like, you know, enough to get to, to be able to get my hands dirty with, you know, setting up the image and, uh, and, and building that container and then trying to set up a, a Kubernetes cluster and whatnot. Right. But, but in fairness, right. Like just, just to sort of help those out trying to follow along here. Like, I mean, outlaw, you just recently did a lot of work and optimizations with Docker build files and all that kind of stuff. And, and that's where I say like, Getting a Docker container running is not hard. Getting to the point to where you feel effective and efficient with it, enough to even just do like a Docker Compose takes some time. And then to take that next leap into Kubernetes, I mean, I know all three of us at the time, we were like, whoa, this is a, it, it wasn't just a big step. It was a complete breakage of everything that you'd learned for Docker, right? Like it, because it's not the same world. So yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, I agree. Like, if, if it was one of three of us, we'd probably just be like, oh, this is Kubernetes, right? Like, we're going to figure out how to do it there. We're going to start there because we know the benefits we get from it. Whereas, you know, people that haven't lived in that world, like, that's a whole lot to bite off when you just yeah. want to start up a, a SQL server or something. Trying to right? understand, like, all the networking involved behind it as well as, you know, right. and handshakes between and, you know, yeah, okay. I, I mean, I, I, I see your point is fair. I mean, the point that you're making though, about the, like the, the Docker thing that I was working on though. I mean, in that example, that's kind of extreme though. Cause there's, you know, to, to get your container built and running, you know, it's not so hard to get it to build super fast. You know, that's where you start like super tweaking it, you know, like, and scrutinizing like every little thing that you're doing, like, can I collapse some of this or where should I do the collapsing? You know, but in the beginning, like who cares? Like just yeah, you don't care at the work. beginning. Yeah, you don't care, but for sure, I think it's just a comfort level, right? And that, in in all honesty, if you are thinking about doing something that's going to be setting up multiple systems that have to talk to each other, and and you want them to be running, you want to know that they are running and all that, Kubernetes is a good place to start, right? Like so learn it, learn it. Yeah, um, is, but if is you're Kubernetes just to, the new Docker? It might be. I, I've been wondering I think about it is. that. I think there's enough people that like only work on a front end or only work on a back end and stuff that I think that maybe we'll just never need to touch it. But uh, I think it's it's here to stay. I think for sure. Well, it's a, it's a solid investment. Well, check this out. So we just like really talked up Kubernetes, right? Go learn it. Now, here's the reason why you don't want to do it. You ready? <laughs> this is according to Stack Overflow. Developers that have co-location experience are paid more than their cloud-only counterparts. Interesting. Yeah, that, I was very surprised by that. I is, yeah. Am I getting paid more for that job just because I'm willing to get in a car and drive to the colo? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that, that actually seems really dumb. I, not, I mean, we can't argue it, but that seems... If you learn the cloud stuff, the cloud technologies, the services and things that you have, you can be way more effective. Right? I, I like gotta, way more. I got to imagine, though, that there's like, it's got to be something about because you like have some kind of relationship or you know, like some details that are very specific to that provider or something. I can't, I'm with you. I can't understand why that would be the case. Maybe just seniority, like the people that are working in colos are more likely to be working at businesses that have been around for 20 years and they're more likely to be senior or something like. Well, I, I mean, I, I was thinking, well, maybe, I mean, cause like the example that I was thinking of in my head is like, um, I think it was last chapter that we were talking about from the SRE book and they were talking about how they still use some colos 
But, you know, because originally it was all Colo and now it's like mostly Google data centers where they still had some stuff in Colos where they would want to do like, uh, I think, I think their, their case was for like edge, uh, kind of computing to like, you know, for the, for CDNs and stuff like that. So maybe in that scenario, like it's so, it, it's kind of a rarity that we're going to have it. And so when we do need it, we need somebody who really knows that thing, you know, that specialty. And so it's a super kind of specialized super niche within a niche within a niche kind of thing. Like, I don't know. I, I'm grabbing at straws. That's the only reason that I could make sense of it in my head. Cause it, like Alan said, I was what? Yeah. yeah. Definitely surprised me. Um, so did you see uh, that they added uh, a new question for learning to code this year? No. Uh, so uh, I guess we'll start. So, uh, Ed, so if, as far as education goes, like the results are pretty similar to last year, like 41% of people have a bachelor's degree professionals, uh, Sorry, actually, that's all respondents. Um, professionals, it's a little bit higher, 47%, almost 50%. Uh, master's degree was up there at 23%. Like, none of that stuff is really surprising or new, but they did add a new section for learning to code. And this question in particular is, where did you start learning to code? And number one was actually at American high school, German real school, basically what well, I think it was high school. Um, there's different names for it based on your culture or whatever. But um, yeah, 32% of people started coding in... You know, they're teenage years, basically. Wait, where did, where did you see it written like that, though? Uh, it's That's under education. If you go to the last one, learning to code. Yeah, I saw that. But but they have like I thought I, I thought I noticed that like all of the questions. Well, I guess it would depend on like what the question was as to whether or not they had uh, learning because like if you go into technologies, right, they had it broken down like that too. So I just thought that that was like across the board thing. So, yeah, so, so uh, they had um, in the intro, we'll, we'll have a link in the resources, but they actually talked a little bit about how they added these re- uh, recently, like kind of how you learn to code type questions throughout the whole survey. No, 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 no. I, is, I'm saying like, I thought that that I interpreted that as like, you're still a student, so you're still learning to code. What's your educational attainment? Not where did you learn to code? Because like, then it's, oh, you mean like the highest level? Then the, the question is right. weird for like the technology, like question, right? It, it, the learning to code category right, was yeah. for students. Okay, yeah, it, so you you're are either absolutely a pro- right. you're so already a professional that, or you're a student. I right. tricked you. This is highest level of uh, yeah, absolutely. Now, what's interesting about this, and what kind of stinks about this learning to code, is there's only six thousand three hundred responses here, so it's less than ten percent of the overall. Yep. Um, but I will share my kids uh, started doing Python coding in seventh grade. No, sixth grade. Um, so. Like they're starting earlier and earlier now. Now it wasn't like hardcore Python, you know, scripting. It's the whole blocks thing that you've probably yeah. seen. Yeah, scratch um, or whatever. Yeah. So it was that type of thing where you could toggle over to the code, but they were actually doing those logic things using Python in sixth grade. So That's you know, cool. yeah, they're they're pushing that stuff further down now. The things that they're that, that they're going to just take for granted that we had to like work for, yeah. <laughs> right? Right. I had to go to the bookstore, <laughs> but uh, yeah. So, uh, so to kind of put it in perspective, then so professional developers, forty eight percent had a bachelor's degree, uh, but the people who are learning to code, thirty two percent of them uh, have only completed high school. Mm-hmm. So it just kind of shows you like the changing face of things. Like people who are getting into this uh, have very different levels of education than the ones that are currently there now. But it's also like I mean, this industry is one that is like. It's you can't make. Okay, let me let me start over. If you wanted to be a doctor, 
I can absolutely tell you there's one path, right? right. You're going to spend years and years in school, right? But if you wanted to get into software development, then it's really like, well, I don't know what kind of software development you want to do. Cause you can have an extremely lucrative career as a software developer without going to, you know, a university of any kind. And so you can come straight out of high school. And to your point, Alan, like, depending on where you're going to school, you might already have like a pretty good foundation to start building on as you walk out of that high school. So, I mean, yeah, I can totally see it as like, it's, it's possible to like, I I know plenty that of people in my career that, uh, you know, don't, that never stepped foot on a university campus. Yep. And actually the next question is how people are learning to code. And uh, for all respondents, so it's, this is almost 72,000, so it's almost everybody answered this question. Uh, the top one, 70, 70% said they primarily use online resources, so videos, blogs, podcasts, <clears throat> forums. Yep, yep. Uh, school was number two. It's 68.2%. Obviously, there's you know overlap, so it's not. Uh, it's, this isn't going to add to 100. Uh, books were still a high up there. I was surprised at that. Physical media, 55%. Uh, online courses they have that broken out from other online resources so cool to see that that's up there 46 and then it kind of starts dropping off a cliff uh it's not weird. far after that did you click on the buy age for this one <laughs> yeah. yeah it's totally what? flip-flopped because like the younger you are the more you're going to be in the online camp and the older you are you're going to be in the more physical book camp so like literally the 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 you know the pyramid whatever you want to call it like shifts depending on the age yep Totally. The the one thing that I did find kind of interesting, you remember when boot camps were like a bigger thing? Like yeah. that, that's kind of how people started. That's only like 11% now. So yeah. boot camps, and, and I think a lot of them shut down too because they just weren't profitable. So mm-hmm. um, it's definitely fallen to the wayward a bit. Yeah, I was enthusiastic about it. I'm, I'm so bummed about that. Wow, yeah. People that are 55 and older, they they, they up in the books. <laughs> that's that's yeah. pretty funny. <laughs> they up in the books. They they, that is the, the if we only had a quote for every show, that would definitely they up in the books. That we can, we should make that the title of this show. <laughs> Stack Overflow Survey 2022. They up in the books. Yeah, they up in the books. Uh, <laughs> uh, the next question is basically going and diving into that category, looking for online resources, learning how to code, and. Um, 88% of people said they use technical doc- documentation. Not a big uh, surprise there. Stack Overflow, 86. Uh, the last place is auditory material. For example, podcasts. That's because 7%. there's only a couple of them that are really good out there. I know. You got to <laughs> spread the word, everybody. Spread the word. But isn't it also interesting, though, that like this is a Stack Overflow survey. People yeah. answering on Stack Overflow about their Stack Overflow account. Right. They go to Stack yeah. Overflow to like figure something out. And the, the number one answer is not Stack Overflow. Yeah. <laughs> you know what's funny? This this one about blogs up here, I kind of hate that one. Because I almost never like how people do like, their blogs they, with code. Yeah, like, the blogs have really gone downhill because people have really started farming out the content and, yeah, just milking the system. Yeah, I don't, I don't like it. And, you know, I am curious for – because I, I would venture to say, and I don't know – but I'd venture to say that a lot of people that listen to like our podcast, like we'll say something, it'll put a little like nugget in the back of their head. Right. And then they'll go look it up later because be like, Hey, they said something. I want to go see some more. I, you know, I wonder how, 
how that would, would show up on a survey like this. Is it that they learned about it through the podcast or did they go learn about it after they heard it on the podcast and they went to a blog? You know, I'm just, I wonder how that yeah. translates. Yeah. Earworm. Right. Yeah, exactly. I also, uh, I kind of feel like everyone's lying by saying they go to the tech documentation because they're just like afraid they're going to get, uh, it's like, no, of course I read the documentation before I asked the question. on Says Mr. Pessimist. Uh, but you notice that like online forum was in there though at around 40%. So this would be a call out to, uh, if you haven't already joined our Slack community that, um, you know, that would count as an online forum. I think that that should count. Definitely. Just don't ask anybody to do your homework. You do that. Well, obviously somebody going to kick you in the shin, but other than that, you don't yeah, ask right. them. You just give them a link to your Git repo and say, Hey, <laughs> if you just like <laughs> submit yep. me a PR and, uh, great. and give me your PayPal account and yeah. I'll, uh, yeah. All's good. All's good. Uh, you know, speaking of those demographics, uh, they have a section on years coding. Um, interesting to see that five to nine years is the 30% of respondents by far the, the biggest category. So you can see that like, um, uh, most of the people who've answered this question, like they're kind of in the, like the, I, I guess you call it mid, mid career, early to mid. Well, what it made me question is like, is that, is that the life expectancy of a software developer is like up to 14 years? Cause there was one to four was the first big step. Then the next one is five to nine at 29%. And then the next yep. big step was 10 to 14 and, and one to four and 10 to 14 were both in that like almost 19% range. Right. Yeah. Right. So like, is it, should I read this to say like, Hey, after 14 years, you should have moved on. <laughs> right yeah and we've, we've we've peaked hey hey real quick i know we're not doing all of these but i did want to hit the the ones about the online course one only sure. because i think it's relevant to to people who who listen to this in case you're not aware of it so the number one online resource that people like to learn for like learning platforms was udemy and that makes sense to me i don't know about you guys mainly because you could buy them in chunks right like if, if I'm interested in Python, they'll have sales all the time. I can buy a, a 900 hour course on Python for like 12 bucks. Right. And then I can go look at it anytime I want. Um, then there was Coursera was next at 35 ish percent code Academy, 26% plural site, 22% and then on down. But I think the reason why Udemy is so high is because of what I said, you can buy something for 12 or 13 bucks and you don't feel like you drained your bank account to do it. Whereas the difference to me between like a Udemy and Pluralsight is Pluralsight has some super high quality content, right? But you're spending some money on it, right? Like even on sale, you're typically in for what, 200 bucks a year or something. Um, what they do really well is they sort of, they're almost like the Apple of online learning in that they sort of vet all the courses that go up there to make sure that they're high quality content and all that. And, and that you're adhering to their standards and all that. Whereas on Udemy, anybody that has a camera and, and a recorder can go on and make something and it might be absolutely terrible or it might be amazing, right? Like you won't know until you see the reviews or whatever, but at any rate, I thought it was interesting. So if you weren't aware of those, that's, this is something to look at just to see if, you know, you could go look for your next learning resource. Oh, they're having a sale right now. Hold on, I got to get some things. They are every day, man. <laughs> it's all, it's all the time. But yeah, but this one is normally 139 and it's on sale for 19. That's usually what they. So that's what I hate about Udemy, by the way, is 
And, and actually, so I think behind the scenes stuff here, Jay Z and I had talked about for a while, like creating our own courses. Both of us started doing it and it's just a lot of work. And so we never finished it, but you can read things online where they'll talk about like, where are the best places to put your content? And the biggest complaint about Udemy is they'll force you to put your stuff on sale. So even if you, you know, created a course and you spent 800 hours creating the course, and and you think it's worth ninety nine ninety nine? When they go to put it on sale, it's going on sale for ten bucks. Like, <laughs> deal with it, right? And that's, you know, I I don't know. It's good and bad. Yeah, but this one's only got five hours left. <laughs> he just bought it. <laughs> yeah, I'm about to. It's a, C, a CKA or CCA, whatever. Ah, like, uh, yeah. the There's, certified Kubernetes administrator. Well, I, I mean, this is going to be an awkward transition then, because like I also want to like throw out a shout out to uh, Educative IO, who's been a past sponsor. They would fall into that like other category, I think, according mm-hmm. to the Stack Overflow survey results here. And then, really nice thing that differentiates them from the others is that you can you have that uh, interactive playground right there in their in the browser that you can like code and and see how well you're doing with an, you know, everything like that versus, uh, you know, having to like install tools on your own system and run and play or whatever, you know? Um, and then, uh, you know, codingblocks.net slash plural site. I mean, you know, also. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Yep. Yeah. We got you covered. You think about getting some stuff, uh, check us out. All right. So sorry. I went backwards in here. I really am buying this, by the way. <laughs> I knew you were. I, I, look, there are some fantastic courses on on Udemy. I mean, I bought one that seriously it was like the complete uh, web site. To what, dude? There was so much content that I was like, I'm buying it just because there's so much here. Like, it's ridiculous. All right, so so That's we did it. we did the years coding. All right, let's see experience by developer type. We have that. Um, so your senior executives, your VPs, they've got seventeen years of experience. Managers of fourteen years. Product manager fourteen. Developer is pretty close to fourteen. So yeah, I mean, I, I, it seems like the average on here is like thirteen to fourteen years experience on a lot of these. So yeah. But they break developer up a lot, though. I mean, so there's like developer, desktop, or enterprise application, which I don't think we would count as, right? Because, well, maybe it's like enterprise, I guess, maybe. Enterprise apps. Because then there's there's developer embedded or devices, developer QA or test, developer backend, developer mobile, developer full stack, developer front end. So, yeah, they got a lot. But it's all like between 12 and 14 years experience on a lot of these. Well, I mean, that's what I'm saying, though. Like, you go down to developer front end, it's 10. Developer full stack, 10. Developer mobile, 10. Developer back end, 10. So it's like, it really depends on, I don't even know, like, where we, honestly, I'm confused now, like, where I I think we're enterprise. I'd say we're enterprise apps. Instead of full stack? Like, what's the difference? Meetings. meetings. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. That's right. We sit on phone calls all day. All right, Jay Z, keep it. How far ahead do you plan out? (laughs) Yeah. So uh, this, you'll, you'll get a kick out of this. Um, so I was trying to buy that course. and I was having a hard time. I'm like, come on, just take my credit card. I, I bought the course in 2019. <laughs> <laughs> I already had it. That's why I couldn't buy it again. 
You tried to rebuy it. How much did you pay for it in 2019? It was a little cheaper, 19.99. Then it's 24.99. Both were on super discount, though. Yeah. Right? Yeah. That because they always are. If it's yeah. not, hey, that's a that's a tip of the week for you. <laughs> yeah. If you're looking at a course on Udemy and it's not on sale, don't buy it. Wait. <laughs> Wait until next week and Wait then come back hours. and look again. Yeah. Next week. Shoot. Yeah. Yeah, maybe two days. Yeah, just don't ever buy a course for full price on Udemy. Like, you can't need it that bad. Yeah, you're looking at the uh, years of professional experience by developer type? Yeah, we did that. Okay. Oh, eh, the next one's basically more of the same. What else we got? Well, I'll tell you what. How about we use this as an opportunity to say, if you haven't already left us a review... Uh, we would greatly appreciate it. And it, it would be better. Like I know in the past, if you've listened to past episodes, Jay-Z is like giving you some weird advice <laughs> and uh, it obviously, I mean, listen to fizzy buzzy busy. Uh, it works out better to just ignore that advice from Jay-Z and just leave us a good review. I mean, it's fine. You know, or, or, a, or I should say a review. I'm not trying to take that. I'm not trying to like sway your opinion, but definitely don't Jay-Z's asked for like weird ones. And let's just stay away from that. Can we agree? Terrible, terrible reason for five, oh, five stars, please. Five gosh, stars. he did yeah. it again. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, with that, we'll head into my favorite portion of this show. Survey says. All right. Uh, a few episodes back, we asked, SLIs and SLOs sound awesome. But does your team use them? And your choices were, of course. How else would we track our error budget? Or, I mean, they sound great, but, um, yeah, we don't have those. Or, oh, wow, we have so many slow parts. Oh, it's an acronym. Never mind. Or, we're away and it looks promising. Or lastly, I'm convinced and will implement them in the near future. So, this is 189. According to Tatuco's trademark rules of engagement, Alan, you are first. So, let's go with... We're on our way, and it looks promising. And that's Mister Optimistic. Okay, of course he was going to say that. Yeah, I should have guessed that from now on. That's what I should do. I should guess like (laughs) what answer is Alan going to say? Right there, we go. Then we can all be involved. Um, I'm going to go with forty percent. Okay, I'm convinced forty percent. Okay. No, no, no. I'm convinced we're on our way, and it looks promising. It was Wait, the other optimistic. We're on, we're on our, our way. way. Okay. Yeah. Oh, it wasn't I'm convinced. It was just we're on our way. Okay, we're on sorry. our way. Yeah. You're doing we're on our way. Yes. Uh, I'm going to say, I mean, they sound great. <laughs> In 20, 20, 21%. All right. 21%. Okay. Very safe guess. Apparently, Joe is not convinced, <laughs> but Alan is going to go with we're on our way and it looks promising with 40%. 40 and Joe says, I mean, I sound great, but um, yeah, we don't have those at 21%. Not 20 and not 22. That's right. 21%. It's important. All right. Well, guess what? A winner. Winner, winner, chicken dinner. Woo. Jay-Z. Thank you. Thank you. Jay-Z wins it. What's my prize? Takes yeah. the win. How many percentage? It was 40%. Oh, 40%. I hit the number. Nice. Dang it. Yeah. 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 All right. Yeah. Alan is like an orange. Why didn't the orange win the race? 
We need to have a, I'm convinced, but I'm not doing that. Mm, yeah, you're right. Why didn't know. the orange win the race? I don't know. It ran out of juice. Oh, <laughs> I like it. <laughs> All right. So, uh, you know, we're going through the stack overflow, uh, survey results and, you know, like sometimes these things, like you look at these and you're like, what? So, for this episode survey, we ask, how well does the Stack Overflow survey results align with your reality? And your choices are absolutely spot on. There must be a lot of me's answering this thing. Or who are these people? I need to move or change careers or do something. Or somewhere in between. Some answers are pretty close, but others are whoa. <laughs> so. All right. All right, good stuff. Well, let's dive into uh, technologies, huh? Yeah, I like it. You see, uh, 2022 is JavaScript's 10th year as the most commonly used programming language. I don't see it going anywhere for a very long time. I mean, until WebAssembly really becomes the thing to where you can just do your development in any language and it gets compiled down, I I don't see JavaScript going away anytime soon. Man, yep. it really is crazy. So for me, at least on this particular section, I'm more interested in the professional developers than the learning to code or any of that. Um, but yeah, I mean, I don't see JavaScript going anywhere either because you can do everything with it. Like everything, server side, client side, UIs, backends, it doesn't matter. Mobile. You can do everything, mobile, all of it. Yep. Like there's just... N- it is the best all-around language there is, even though I don't even get to use it that much anymore. Yeah, not seeing any real big surprises here. You know, JavaScript at the top. We got HTML, CSS. You know, controversial for languages, but SQL is number three for professional developers and for all respondents. Now, did you look at learning to code in comparison? They've actually got HTML and CSS as number one. Mm. Which is interesting. I could see that being kind of a gateway. So, okay, fine. Yep. JavaScript number two. Python's number three. Okay, yep. fine. Uh, SQL is number five. Well, we're far down under Java. So it's kind of interesting to see, like, uh, do people not need the SQL? Do they perceive that as being harder or something? I think when you're learning, you're not dealing with data as much, right? Like, I, I actually remember people coming out of school when, when I had interns that I was, like, training up. And they would ask questions like, well, what do I do with the data here? So it's it's just not something that I don't think you encounter that much while you're in school or while you're trying to learn something, you know? Yeah. You know hey, what BBA, I, it's on the list. It, it is while wow, it's down there. People oh, are learning it even. You know what's interesting to me is how high TypeScript is in regards to everything else. Um, so JavaScript's yeah. at 68%. TypeScript's at 40%. TypeScript is just under Python. That's really impressive when you consider all TypeScript. I'm probably going to get killed for this. Um, <laughs> all types. <laughs> All TypeScript really is is like a layer on top of JavaScript to make it more OO like, right? Like it's it's sort of um, a nice facade on on top of it to do things that you would want to do in an OO type way, uh, with with the ability to get compile time stuff, right? So that's yeah, that's the thing that's, I was going to say. It's, it's it's trying to put some boundaries on like the loosey goosey nature that was JavaScript, yes. right? And put some put some uh, you know boundaries on it. Yeah, but that's really high. More, like, I was going to say that more than the object oriented, but I get where you're going with the object oriented. That wouldn't 
And it's just above, and I mean, Java and C Sharp are right there neck and neck, but like TypeScript's got a significant lead over both of those, which is surprising to me. Yep. You know, well, really because it's a me? JavaScript thing though, right? So like, it is. Yeah. yeah. You know, True. if you lump those two together, like really, I mean, if you're doing TypeScript, guess what? You're doing JavaScript. Ooh, I like this next section. I mean, that's true. Well, yeah, uh, so a couple quick things. Uh, interesting. So we said closure uh, employees, people were really in, with closure near the top of the pile as far as pay. Uh, and the, people aren't learning it. Um, people don't. This is the one alert, right? Yeah, yeah. People aren't working with it now. So it's way down, way, way, way at the bottom. Also, well, uh, that's VBA. the language, though, that people are like learning to code with, though. So like most people that are learning to code are starting with like HTML and JavaScript. Yeah, but I'm just saying, like, uh, you know, closure, and but we also talked about like Elixir and the Phoenix framework being They're popular. Way um, down. People, yeah, way down on both professional coders and learning to code, which is kind of interesting. So it's like, wait, where are these people? Like, you're not working with this stuff now. I guess it's like kind of, you know, on the side for Elixir and closure. You're working with it, but you don't really want to be, maybe. Right. Elixir's 2.46%, and closure was, or closure is 1.66%. So yeah. Way, way. It's lower than VBA. <laughs> exactly. On both lists. People, right. More people are learning VBA today than they are. People learning the code are learning VBA more so than uh, than uh, Closure and Elixir. Okay. Yeah, but that makes sense to me, though, because, like, if you're learning how to – if you're learning to code, right, you're going to try to start with some, with an easy language yeah, to start with. You're not going to start with something complex. Like, you know, so you're going to say, like, well, what's the biggest bang for buck? you know, in terms of like what I can get my students to do and to get excited about it. Right. But wait a yep. second, even professionals down at the bottom of the list, it's not like it, it's a big difference between the two. They're, they're all right. I'm just trying to make the distinction of learning to code though, like where it's, uh, you know, it makes sense there for sure. Yeah. yeah. But professionals aren't done. They're not doing it either. Well, that's why you get paid so much to do it. Cause there's not that many doing it. Nobody yeah. wants to do it. Yeah. yeah. Oh, now the next one is fun. I, I think oh, here the next we go. one is good. This one's, this one's going to make Outlaw excited here. This is where so, like Jay Z and I get to duke it out. Come on. So we're we're going to jump to professional developers here on this. Oh, one we're starting series. with that. Okay, let's. Yeah. Let's, I don't like the all respondents because it mixes in too much stuff. I, I want to see what people are doing in the I real think your, world. So. Your your virtual in person tech talk is on the wrong subject there, Jay Z. It, yeah, it looks like it looks like it might be. So I think Outlaw asked this question like maybe last episode, the episode before, about like, you know, what do we think the most popular database server is out there? Yeah, we were and, comparing it using the DB rankings. Uh, yeah. Or dot com. Yeah. Well, the people that answered this survey as professional developers, Postgres now has the number one spot. With yeah, 48,000 respondents. Yeah, that's a lot. So, yep. you know, pretty good. Yep. It's kind of a big deal. I don't know if you've heard. But did you look at learning to code? It's number four. 25%. MySQL is number one. See, see, Jay-Z, this is I, where like you and I can't get along. I'm actually surprised that MySQL is number one there. I would have expected MongoDB to have taken number one. Or yeah, it's like, weird to me that there's this, like, this weird gap. Like Maybe MySQL is easier to learn, or maybe it's closely correlated with things like HTML and CSS that are people learning, but it's just like... I don't know. Like I, I kind of think of it as like the professional demand to me is like a reading of like where the industry is now. And so learning codes, like don't you kind of want to go to where the industry is now? I yeah. Know. Yeah. I don't know. I, you're right. I mean, Postgres is definitely geared more towards business, right? Like it's, it's the, the open source enterprise database. And, and, and maybe when people are trying to learn stuff, they're not trying to go that deep. I don't know. Yeah. 
But yeah, next up in the professional, we have MySQL second, SQLite third, SQL Server fourth, MongoDB fifth, Redis. I, I, I'm sort of shocked that Redis is is listed as a database server because it's yeah. a it's a key value store, right? Um, but I, I don't know. I mean, I guess he does um, go out of, of place up there. Top ten for people using it. Learning yeah. code way way down though. Get with it, people. It's good stuff. Yeah, I I think it, uh, it just goes to people. We've seen it in the past. When you learn a database system, you do everything with that database system until you start ripping all your hair out, and then you realize that you need something like an Elasticsearch. Now, if we get into the cloud platforms, I mean, is there like any surprise here? Like, no. Not at all. I, I'm actually, surprised Google's high as high as it is. I was about to say the same thing. Really? They're catching up to Azure. Yeah. You yeah. thought you you thought that Google would be further down? I did. I thought that Azure would have been further up and yeah. and I think Google Cloud would have been about where it is. So Google Cloud's okay. listed at twenty six percent, Azure thirty, AWS fifty five. I would have expected to see Azure creeping up closer to the fifty five, I think. Hmm, but then if like has the math and chicken been teaching you math because if they're if AWS and Azure were both near around 55 then where does everybody else fit in no I, I'm <laughs> I guess what I'm saying is I think they I would have expected to see them creeping up towards that more like in the 40s or you know somewhere around the 40 percent um I mean but, it's not it's a big deal that like you know Azure's at a third and Google's at you know a quarter of the of the, of it while AWS has half of it. And I think that makes sense though, right? Because like AWS this isn't a hundred, this isn't a hundred percent though. If you look at these numbers, there are people that are choosing multiple of these. So, I mean, just the first three alone is over a hundred. Uh, okay. Sure. I mean, they, Mathema chicken, did you strike again? <laughs> um, okay, fine, fine. So my, my thirds and halves or whatever are all messed up because math. Yeah, I would again. I, I, but I was happy to see like there's some other there's some of the other players in here that I was like, oh, it's pretty neat. Like Linode's in there. Linode made mm-hmm. the list. You know? DigitalOcean made the list. Yeah, I yeah. mean, there's some good ones. Yeah, but did you see Learning the Code? Yeah, one is Heroku, and I've I've never understood Heroku because to me it's just a layer on top of something else. Like I'm paying more for. It's a layer on top of the AWS though. Yeah, so I've never understood like why, but you know, I guess it's easier to use usability. But uh, yeah, it's interesting to see that it's number one for learning code. Uh, I, I guess it's people wanting to take it easier route. You but, know, you know what it is. It's absolutely the tutorials out there that that people are getting started with are like, hey, go set this up on Heroku, and it's easy. Yeah. Also, I mean, these are the the inventors of the twelve factor app, so let's not take that away from them. Yeah, sure. And they're fine. They're good. Yeah. Yep. I was surprised. Uh, and Google Cloud here now seeing them high on Google Cloud. That's interesting. But I think Google Google Cloud has definitely an advantage with Kubernetes. But also, I think what we're seeing here more might be the tie in with Firebase. Like Firebase is so popular for getting started type stuff, and it like leads so nicely into Google Cloud. Yeah, these these are good. I mean, the fact is, you can't go wrong with any one of these that they have listed up here. So, yeah. Oh, what's OVH? OVH? OVH. I don't know. Yeah, I hadn't heard of that one either. Yeah, global it's, cloud service provider. Yeah, it, it's a European company, so I guess 
headquartered in France. So I don't know, maybe like OVH means something more to them. Yeah. And so I've never, I've never heard it. This next one's going to be fun. Web. Yeah. Web frameworks and technologies. Yeah. And uh, here it looks like the professional developers and learning code are pretty close with uh, jQuery being a little higher. Uh, Node.js and Reactor, of course, that are at the top of both piles. I hate it that jQuery is still up there. Yeah. <laughs> I hate it. Oh, man. I'm actually surprised to see Angular so low. I'm surprised. Yeah, I, I don't know. It seems like Angular, like... As far as my Twitter feed is concerned, like I don't hear much about Angular. I'm surprised to see Angular JS so high for sure. Yeah, same. I'll, I'll tell you why Angular is as low as it is. Is because when Google made that breaking change between Angular JS and Angular, they ticked off a bunch of people. Yeah, that they had they have a bad. They, r- Google really needs to work on that of like how they'll create something and then just drop it. Yeah, I remember I remember tons of developers being like, I'm done. I'm not I'm not going to the next version of Angular because let's say they're not going to do this in another year or two. And then all the time that we spent on our previous applications, like they there was no migration path, right? And that's that I, that made people mad. And they did it themselves a huge disservice, in my opinion. Like, okay, fine. You you created Angular JS and you're like, you know what, we've discovered an entirely better pattern to do this. And, and, you know, we don't want to call it Angular JS. How about also don't just call it Angular? Like come up right, with a completely yeah. different name from a branding Agreed. perspective. And then it probably would have taken off better or, you know, because it makes yeah. it so ridiculously confusing when you're like looking at documentation and you don't recognize like right off the top that the link that you're looking at is Angular JS. And you're like, yep. wait a minute, really? You can right. do that? No, come on. Oh, wait a minute. Now, so there are some interesting things here, right? Like they mix up different. So they talk about web frameworks and technologies and they're totally mixing things in here, right? Like they're, the peanut butter and the jelly is all messed up here. So Node.js is like just a JavaScript, you know, um, run anything type thing on server, on whatever you want, on, you know, a client side command line interface if you wanted um, React.js is is a view-only web client type thing. jQuery is sort of DOM manipulation. Um, you know, so you, you can use it for all kinds of stuff. Express is a server-only technology. Angular is is UI. So, like, they've mixed a bunch of stuff here. Um, and, and I think that's what kind of stinks is when you start talking about web nowadays, it, it gets confusing because this isn't just web. Node.js could be an application for all intents and purposes, right? Well, then you get ASP.NET Core, right? ASP.NET, right. uh, yeah. and you have Blazor. I mean, like ASP.NET Core, like you, you don't have to even touch the web for that. Right. It could just be a, an ASP.NET Core command line. Command line, yeah. And that's what I'm saying. Like, they, but so could Node. So, and, and honestly, some of these aren't frameworks. Like, um. Yeah, I don't know. It, it, Angular is truly a framework. It's like an MVC type framework with with DI and all kinds of garbage built in. Like I can see that. Some of these aren't. Like, is Node.js a framework or is it just a bunch of libraries you can use? Well, what's really weird, like Java has no representation on this list. No, like for the pro or the learning. Like, what is that? What? Well, there's Python nothing does. Java for the web anymore, right? Like, what what have you seen in the past decade that's Java on the web? Micronaut or Spring, that's it. 
It, it, it's usually the it, yeah it's usually the server endpoints right but it's not yeah. yeah it's interesting but python is in there ruby's in there um yep python's in there twice yeah i thought that yeah but i mean it kind of makes sense though they're they are different different packages so Flask and Django. i'll give it yeah blazer's it, in there Django no is actually there. a framework right python's not python's yeah. a language Django's a framework so yeah, I don't know. The, these are interesting, and it's and it again, it makes sense. Like JavaScript is the top three in the professional four, five, yeah. the top five that are being used there. And Phoenix super low, by the way. So you know, people love it, but not many people using it, which we've seen before. Uh, also, there's an interesting uh, Dino, like the um, the guy from Node.js went and started uh, Dino. Uh, very very low. It's still you know brand. It's still very new, so it's interesting. You know, maybe we'll see that kind of coming up. But both lists, it's uh, near the bottom. Well, let's get into the one that everybody wants to know, though. So, like, wait, don't wait, scroll. Wait, wait. Before before you go, you remember the other one that was super popular or that was supposed to be popular that got started by somebody that had left one of the popular ones? You remember Aurelia that oh, kind yeah. of just died off? Um, like, That's not even here. Yeah, so it'd be hard for me to go grab something like Dino, knowing that if it doesn't get, like, a snowball rolling down a hill type of traction, yep. you're, just, you're going to spend time and it's going to be gone. It could be amazing, but if no one else is using it, it's going to die. Doesn't matter. Yeah. All right. So, so let's let's get to the heart of what everybody really wants to get into. Like most loved and dreaded. Now, don't scroll. All right. Don't cheat. But what do you think the most loved is? Rust. Mate, which things are we doing? Other frameworks? Well, you're not supposed to scroll. What part of don't scroll? So are you like Joe's over there, like scrolling around, like where am I going? Oh, you skipped a couple, so I was just making yeah, sure I skipped I was, a couple because uh, I wanted to get to the one that right we care thing. about. Yeah, yeah, it's got to okay, be so. Rust because that was the one that everybody loved last year. That nobody, yeah, and they said it was like the eighth year in a row or something. Yeah, for Rust. nobody uses it. Eighty six point seven percent out of seventy one thousand responses. Clearly, I am using the wrong programming language because Rust is again. The most loved language. How many responses replied to this? 71,000. I don't believe that many people clicked Rust. That that many people haven't even looked at Rust. The weird thing is, is not that Rust wasn't the thing that people are coming to Stack Overflow for. Yeah. Like, back up a few questions, right? Like, that wasn't the thing that people were coming for. But yet, yeah, that was the most loved language on here. I can't Elixir was number two. Closure... TypeScript number four, Julia number five. That doesn't make sense. That's where I see stuff. I'm like, y'all got some FOMO. <laughs> <laughs> you don't know. You don't know. You think it looks nice. What do you think the most dreaded is? Examples. Most VB. dreaded. What'd you say? VB. Okay. Oh, got no. Joe's answer. N- oh. No. What it's not going to be VB. Most dreaded uh, Objective C. That's a that's a good guess. They're they're both good guesses. MATLAB was number one at eighty point eight percent most dreaded. Mm. Then COBOL, then VBA, then Objective C, then Fortran. Mm. Surprised to see that Groovy was so low on the list. I yeah. I didn't expect that. Did uh, you? I think Groovy is like you're doing Jenkins or you're doing Gradle. <laughs> yeah, that's that's really it, right? I mean, I've seen it used in other things, but I mean, it's I, just I, another uh, JVM, you know, compiled down to like a a, a bytecode kind of thing, right? So, hey, I wasn't far off on Objective C. No, yeah, you weren't. Yeah, it was number but, four. I think it was with Groovy. If you're working on Jenkins or Gradle, like, I mean, you kind of hate your life, right? 
<laughs> so it doesn't really matter what the language is great or not. Like you're going to be at the bottom of that pile. Uh, that's hilarious. Wow. Just okay. Th- so those are good things. Those are very good things that I use all the time. And they're very, they have a very positive impact on my life. And I don't hate them. Of course, the, the wants aren't too far off from what we were talking about. Rust, Python, TypeScript, Go, and JavaScript you know, are the yeah. top five for Rust. Kotlin yeah. making its way to number six. Dude, I like, want. man, if oh, people touch people. Kotlin, they, they like Kotlin. Yep. Where was it? Four, five. Ooh, it just missed the top ten, though, on, mo- oh on loved, on most loved. Came in at 63%. Wow. C sharp was number 10. Closure, get out of here. Get out of here. (laughs) (laughs) Let me Google it just to make sure. (laughs) Most loved database, though. Hey, wait, wait. wait. The bottom of the wanted was Delphi. I kind of feel sorry for him. It's up there with most loved, too. Whatever. But did you see most loved database? I do. You happy? You just barely eked out number one there with Postgres. Postgres SQL seventy two percent. Right. Most loved database. Redis, Redis at number Mongo. two. Mongo number three. SQLite and then uh, Cloud Firestore. <laughs> most yeah. most dreaded IBM DB two. Hey, CouchDB. That's kind of surprising. Wasn't CouchDB supposed to be the? Uh, um, isn't that the event? Driven one, or am I thinking of something different? Is CouchDB the time series one? I can't remember. Uh, um, it's 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 high on the dreaded list. I thought it was another document database. Am I wrong? Clustered. It's an Apache remember. project. Clustered NoSQL. Mm, okay. Yeah. Jason. Okay. Um, MapReduce. I mean, I, I recall the one that you were talking about, but I thought it started with an R. It might have been RoachDB or something. I don't remember, man. Well, now I think you're just making stuff up. You're like... Possibly. Possibly. RoachDB? Hey, like, that would be such a weird... There's, there's CockroachDB. <laughs> there is CockroachDB. Yeah, I, I knew there was something like that. Hey, we are an hour and 20 into this. We're going to have to kick this into high gear. All what? Right. So we're talking about top-paying technologies? Oh, it's broken up in a couple different ways. Uh Closure at the top somehow. Erlang number two, F sharp. Well, closure made sense because it was like the top paying job before. Like I mentioned that at the start, right? Yeah. So no surprise to see closure there. PHP and Dart at the very bottom. MATLAB. It seems not fair that MATLAB is at the bottom. I feel like if you're doing MATLAB, you're doing really cool stuff. But it doesn't pay very well, apparently. But that's in the programming, scripting, and markup languages section, right? Yeah. How do you, I, I see Dart below Mat, MATLAB. Yeah, it is. Those are just the bottom three, MATLAB, PHP, and Dart. Oh, okay. I'm sorry. I, I didn't miss that when you said it. Yeah. So yeah. For databases, Dynamo, number one. All right. Hey, how people make money? Yeah. Poor Postgres. Poor one out. Didn't make it. Yeah. Yeah. You can see like all the top paying ones here are kind of ones that are like known for scaling. So it kind of makes sense. Like, you know, bigger business types of DB2 is high though. Geez. Well, yeah, to keep it alive, you're going to have to get paid for it. Yeah, you're going to pay someone. Yeah. And yeah, Firebase is way below all the others. Platforms co-location was 30 grand higher than AWS. Yeah. That doesn't make sense, man. Nope. Like I said, if you're willing to, to make the drive, they'll give you yeah. the keys. 
How about web frameworks? Ruby on Rails still paying high. I wonder yeah, if there's still a ton it. of jobs. Yeah, uh, they were low on um, Ruby was really low on both learning and professional developers. It was like near the I don't know bottom third maybe. Yeah, I'm guessing but they yeah, just can't thanks. get people. I remember, I know the Orlando salary survey when they did that for Orlando does like it was really skewed by a few different things too. And so I got to think that's going on with Phoenix because Phoenix, like the use was just like 1%. You look at web frameworks pay and it's like, Oh, we're at the top. <laughs> but look at some of the, look at where some of the, um, Python machine learning type stuff f- falls into place though. Like, uh, Keras, TensorFlow, uh, psychic learn, uh, torch and PyTorch. I mean, you know, Torch and PyTorch were the highest at 66, and then uh, the lowest was down to 54. Yeah, this is under other you? frameworks and libraries. Other. Okay. Okay. Um, you know, it's you know, Pandas and NumPy, they're, they're 67 and 66. Uh, that seems low for that type of area that you'll be working in. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. Like, if you're doing that type of work, that seemed like a low number for those. Yeah, that's ML type stuff that you're typically dealing with there. Apache Kafka is high, and that makes sense. I mean, if you're in streaming technology, big data type stuff, that's yes. But these numbers seem low too, comparatively. I mean, well, wait till you get other other tools. Oh, oh, real quick before we leave this, I uh, just want to mention hugging tree. Uh, sorry, hugging face transformers. Yeah, what is uh, that? Just because the name, I don't really know anything about it. So it's for training machine learning data, but uh, hugging face transformers. Oh, pretty cool. Uh, that one I hadn't heard of. Okay, other tools, chef. <laughs> super high yeah, but painful. look at where kubernetes is yeah homebrew yeah, is high. above kubernetes it all makes sense homebrew yeah, yeah. let me say this again Weird. homebrew homebrew <laughs> right is above kubernetes what now now it does make sense to see terraform up there a bit because okay. that's dealing yeah. with cloud providers but kubernetes yeah that doesn't make sense that it's so low I think if you're doing heavy work with Kubernetes in the U.S. and you're making 85, you should maybe maybe shop around a little bit. Yeah, look, you, you can make some more. <laughs> All right, so what do we got next? Change in salaries. Whoa, whoa. First, one more thing. If you click IDE uh, in this, yeah. number one is TextBank. <laughs> Emacs is number two. Wait, where's the so, IDE? Yeah, it, it, I, was, I think it was the so top-paying technologies. We can also see only 37,000 responses for this. So, like, this is like oh, less than half of the survey. And this is so, like, you can just tell right here, like, so much of this, these questions on salary are skewed. Yeah, it's I mean, garbage. Visual Studio Code 65. And, like, that is by far and away my favorite editor these yeah. days. Like, if I don't have to go into anything else, then I won't. Yeah. I don't care what the language is. I will stay in Visual Studio Code as long as I can until I'm like, okay, let me spin up IntelliJ or. Yeah. Here comes Visual Studio. Wait for it. Yeah, it's it's really Text good. Text paint ninety four. Get out of here. And Ruby mine is number three. Like what? I uh, no, my no. You say so. <laughs> but I mean, IntelliJ overall, like great representation. They're doing great. You know what's interesting? I mean, I don't think that we should go over too much of these ones that are the change in the median salaries between twenty twenty one and twenty twenty two. Yeah. Other than to say that they all went up about fifty percent on a lot of them. What? Well, they said they said that the average median salaries increased twenty three percent between yeah. twenty one uh, twenty twenty one and twenty twenty two. Yeah, wow. so it, there's a big jump on all of them. Some of them were closer to fifty percent, but most of them were close. It were very close to what Outlaw just said, like that twenty some odd percent. So yeah. 
I will say like that if you were depressed by the numbers that we talked about in the uh, the Great Resignation uh, episode, you should look at these numbers because you'll feel a lot better. Like the <laughs> overall salaries in general are much much lower than other things we've talked about. Now, do you you care to take a guess at what the most popular version control was? Yeah, it was absolutely mercurial. Dang it, he got yeah. it. I didn't expect I did. him to get that one. <laughs> <laughs> no, of course not. It was get. Uh, of course. Get out of here. Oh, hold up, though. Learning to code. Did you see what they said? I don't yeah. use one. Yeah. <laughs> I, that makes yeah. sense, though, right? That totally makes sense. If you're just yeah. learning to code, you you probably don't know anything about version control yet. You probably have 15 different versions of that file that you're working on. You do, in 20 different folders. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, some yeah. of them are on the cloud, too. Like, And you don't even know to call it that. You're like, it's in my OneDrive. Oh, ooh, this next one's good. Hold on. Professional developers interacting with version control. How do most people do it? Yes. These are my people. I like it. Command line, 85%. All right. Bring it on. Yes. Code editors, 54%. I even mentioned recently, I do like the code integration in, in IntelliJ. Like, it, it, it's stolen a little bit of my love because it's really good. But still, I mean, the command line wins. Yeah. Yep. So, yeah, there's a bunch in here. I don't know that we need to go through all that. Like, you know, most popular version control platform. I mean, is it really even a surprise that it would be GitHub for everything, whether it be personal or professional use? I mean, of course, that was that was number one. Well, how close was GitLab? That's interesting to me. Well, I the takeaway that I had was how sad it was, how far down Azure is. Okay. <laughs> because yeah, it's so good. Yeah. It's so good. It's owned by the same company as GitHub people. <laughs> and, and it's better. And it's better. The interface yeah. is so much better. It really is. GitLab's GitLab's. I mean, look, it's not GitHub, but they're at 20%. That's pretty good. Or 29% professional use. Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty good. Hey, hold up, hold up. There's a, there's another good one because I know I know we're trying to move this along. Company info, um, number of people working at companies. So there were there were forty six thousand respondents. It's company size oh, um, I see, under work. I see, it, I see it. Um, what's interesting? The biggest percentage of these forty six thousand respondents worked at companies with twenty to ninety nine employees. That was twenty one percent of these people. Um, and then a hundred to 500 employees was 18%. And then everything else just about, well, there is the 10,000 or more employees. That's 13%. That's probably your Amazons and that kind of stuff. Right. Um, but then everybody else was like less than 10%, um, 10% working companies with two to nine employees, um, 5%, they were the only employee. Um, so yeah, I mean, it seems like there are a decent amount of people working at pretty small companies. Like two percent don't know. It's like they only have a key to the basement or something. Like, what's going on there? <laughs> right. uh, I don't know. That's uh, yeah, like Google it. Yeah, well, salary. See, like you're working for a company and you don't know how big it is. You're just like, whatever. I don't know. I don't care. Yeah, yeah. that's true. Yeah, and yeah. salary, like when she kind of hinted up for like a numbers much lower than numbers we talked about for like fan companies, which is no big surprise, but. uh they, well, and they did on, mention, it depends on which country you click on too, though, right? Yeah. yeah. And so I clicked on uh, United States because that's just my, my frame of reference. So, uh, you know, like when we were talked about the, the great resignation, we were talking about salaries of like 
200 and up like 300 400 like it was like grads coming out of school getting you know jobs for like 400 grand and like netflix and stuff and here they got it capped at 200,000. they did have a statement talking about how they um, did some thresholding so basically the top two percent of salaries they just capped it at 200,000. so like you know these you can kind of think of them as being higher but even still like uh here if you look at the united states um they've got senior executives so basically ceos coos vice presidents they've got those at two hundred thousand, and it goes down from there yeah, I got to figure well, out how to become one of those. So listen, if you have a job opening for a senior executive C-suite, you know, level, you know, hit me up, you know? Right? Yeah, <laughs> I've been around for a minute. Apparently, we've aged ourselves out of being developers. So whoa, whoa, that's, whoa. That's the next. Well, you're 21. You've got a few years. Thank um, you. The interesting thing here, though, is the entry level in the U.S. for a student working is 100K. Yeah. Yeah, I don't get absurd. that. Yeah, I don't. That, is that like no. for co- they're because they're co-ops and they're and they're making that or the interns like no. and they're making that like what no, that's going to be workers? Yeah, it's so it's very weird. No, uh, the lowest be, in the U.S. is a hundred thousand. I, I don't buy that. That's, I don't buy it either. Um, Eight thousand respondents, by the way, for U.S. Now so, I will say the, number. the U.K. is only twenty six hundred respondents, but yep. um, what's interesting is these numbers seem higher than what we've heard talking to people that that we know. Right. So, um, this one's kind of interesting, but all right. What do you do? Well, and these are, by the way, the prices shown are in US dollars. So it's been adjusted for, um, our convenience. But if you're international, there's probably a way to change it. Maybe I hope. All right. Well, how about, uh, we'll have plenty of links to the resources we like, uh, in the show notes, obviously including the, the stack overflow survey, but there've been some other ones in here. Like, you know, there's this great article that I read called is Docker than you get. And I think that the author nailed yeah. it. That'll be in there as well. Um, yep. but otherwise, yeah, we head into Alan's favorite portion of the show. It's the tip of the week. Um, sorry, I was getting the link to that article. Oh, <laughs> oh, you already you found it. You already, you already put it. it in there. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Like, so like you doubt me? <laughs> I'm going to recommend something I've not tried, but uh, I thought it was pretty cool. Joe I has never done this ideas. before. So never this first cool. time. Bear with me. So uh, there is an app called Unblaw. Saw it in Hacker News today. For people like myself who sometimes talk too much when they get nervous in meetings. And so it's basically a little app that will keep track of how long you've been speaking and will kind of give you a little warning if you're dominating the meeting. <laughs> so that was pretty funny. So we've got a little dial here. So I haven't tried it, but uh, it's supposed to work great with Zoom, Teams, others. It's got like a kind of a, a gentle reminder to let you know, like red, green, kind of traffic light type stuff. So it'll be like, whoa, you've been going a little bit. You've been going a little bit. <laughs> shut it down, boy. Shut it down. Yeah, now, that was pretty cool. It's only for Mac. Only for Mac, yes. Yes. I see. I fear this kind of thing. Like, what if it's never like I would install it and it would just always be red, and then. <laughs> oh yeah, I should. I should say I, I'm not installing this on my computer. I'm I'm going to try and get other people to install it mm. on their computers. So if you get a note from me saying, "Hey, you should install this app," that you then you know that I think you have a problem that you talk too much. So when I get that email tomorrow, I'm going to be a little bit hurt. Yeah. If <laughs> you're on the distro to list uh, tomorrow and you're you know hearing this, I'm you know I'm what's sorry. Up. That's yeah. true. Uh, yeah. that's awesome <laughs> all right so it's called unblaw me dot me so unblaw dot me we'll have a link very cool all right so i've actually got two because i was doing a little bit of work this week that felt pretty good um the first one is i needed to search a file 
that was on a Linux machine and I had Vim, but I needed, so I had this, I, I couldn't grep because things were across multiple, like they were broken up and it wouldn't show up in the thing. And for whatever reason, grep wasn't working either. Which you can do I, a multi-line regex? You can do it in Vim. And I didn't know you could do that in Vim. So by default, I believe that Vim actually has regex turned on and you shouldn't have to do this. So like if you were trying to search for foo bar and they were on separate, um, it's in the same block, but maybe across multiple lines, then you could do like a, a slash foo dot star, meaning any number of characters in between and then bar. And it will highlight the whole, the whole line and show you where it is. And the beautiful part about that is too, you can then, after you hit enter, you could do end to go to the next match or shift end to go to the previous match and Vim, right? If for whatever reason, it doesn't have the regex matching on in Vim, you can do colon set space magic and hit enter, and then it will turn on that feature and you'll be able to do it. So I found that really useful and interesting. And then there was another thing, again, uh, my tip from last week, you know, read the tips that pop up in your IDEs. Uh, there was another one that came in that was really interesting. So, Jay-Z, this might be useful for you because I know you're an IntelliJ right. a decent amount. Um, and, and I'll have to get the image in here. But if you're typing something like you have a Boolean that you're trying to see, like um, that dot is is open, right? Something like that. If you wanted to say is not open, you know, typically you'd say you'd, you'd hit the enter and it'd pop in is open with your open close parentheses. Then you go to the beginning of the line and maybe put a bang in front of it. Or if you didn't want to do that, you'd say equally equal false at the end of it. Something like that. Well, in IntelliJ, apparently when it's highlighting is open in that auto completion, you can just hit the exclamation mark on your on your keyboard and it'll automatically do the negated is open, which I thought was really cool. I didn't know about that. Um, and then also, I included a link here to several other really cool things that exist in IntelliJ that I didn't know about are various code completion tips that they have. Things like, um, it's almost like templating, like what you'd see in Visual Studio Code or in other things, but like, um, you can type something and do dot var and it'll set up a variable on the line with it and set the value to whatever you're doing. Like it's got a bunch of like little shortcuts to do things. So I'll have a link in there for that. And uh, those are mine for this, this so, episode. So was your regex search, like you couldn't use grep, like the multi-line search wouldn't work for you? So grep wasn't working for me at all, which was really interesting. So th- to give you the situation I was doing and it made no sense at all. Uh, I was doing a Kafka cat and it was spitting out things that were happening, right? Like it, it was reading through the entire topic. And then I'd say grep dash I, and then I'd put in the beginning of a GUID that I was looking for. It wouldn't find it, would not find it, could not figure out for the life of me why it wouldn't. It so what lines? I, um, no, no, it didn't. So what I ended up doing is I Kafka catted that stuff out to a file and then Vim the file and then did the search in it. And, and it was there. Like I could do the same exact thing, you know, uh, ABC one, two, three, and it would go find it. But when I was doing the grep on the Kafka cat output, it would not hit it. So first time I've ever seen that happen. So by default, the input to grep is one line at a time. 
So if you want to do a multi-line grep search, you have to do some other workarounds for it. So here's a link that I'll put next to yours. Like oh. if you wanted to do a multi-line grep search, so that's where I thought you might've been going was that like, uh, it, because I could see where like, if the output coming out of Kafka cat was like wrapping that GUID on lines, then grep wouldn't find it. Right. Uh, by uh, default, this, by default. Right. Yeah. No, this was worse than that. I mean, the, the actual GUID, at least the portion that I was searching for, cause I was only trying to do like the first six or seven characters. It was all there. It just wasn't, it was the first time I've ever run into this to where it just wasn't getting it. And, and I was like, why? Like I, I, at one point I had the whole GUID in there and I was like, okay, let me just hit the first part of it and see what's going on. And it still wouldn't come out. And I was like, all right, I'm done with that. So yeah, it, it was an interesting, odd problem. All right. Well, for uh, my tip of the week, uh, well, for one, okay. You can't ever underestimate the value of a good thesaurus. So I finally bought myself a new limited edition thesaurus that I've always wanted. I was so happy when I opened it. All the pages were blank. I have no words to describe how angry I am. (laughs) That tip aside, that one aside. uh, So so good. So this one, like a friend of ours, uh, a colleague of ours ran into this and, uh, I thought I would share this one where like be careful with your yum installs, because if you try to install your dependencies at the same as part of the same exact command line that you're trying to install their dependence, then it's a problem. So the way I wrote it, that was more fun because it's like a yum install dependencies in yum install dependencies independent of their dependence. Got that? Yeah. Yeah. So basically the problem was in, in our specific case was that we wanted to install JQ, which is like a, a JSON query uh, command line uh, tool. And, and to install it, you have to add in the Red Hat uh, uh, distro, so, you know, uh, as a source, the EPL, EPL release uh, source as one of the destinations that you can install from. So if you do a yum install and you try to install both of the two things at the same time, then it will install the EPEL release, but die on the JQ. And where it messed us up was that silly me yum will happily not return back an error code that it didn't install both of the things. And I'm not sure lame. I understand the logic behind that because it seems really weird if I tell you to install two things and it's like, well, I got one of them. So <laughs> we're good. <laughs> Come on now. I mean, beggars can't be choosers, right? You got one of them. That's good right. enough. So, yeah. So it was, in, it ended up biting us because, uh, you know, Docker would happily go along, do the build. And, you know, I was trying to be, clever and concatenate some layers and, you know, compress some things and oops, those needed to be two different, uh, yum install commands. So, uh, you know, just a word to the word to the wise there. So uh, I'll have a link to a stack overflow answer that explains more about it. And yeah. So, uh, with that, like I said, subscribe, I don't know, subscribe. 
but you know, I, as I, I was more energetic when I asked for the review. So if you haven't left us a review, we would greatly appreciate it. We've said this before too. Like, uh, you know, we really do appreciate reading those. They really do mean a lot to us. So if you haven't already, you can find some helpful links at www.codingblocks.net slash review. Yep. Hey, and, and Outlaw said it before, and uh, we should probably say it more. Like, if you have some friends that are coding or getting into coding or something, you know, share, share the podcast with them and maybe, maybe they'll get something out of it and it'll help, it'll help them out along the way too. So, at any rate, while you're up at codingblocks.net, make sure you check out our show notes. We usually have really good ones. There probably won't be on this episode, but you know, hey. Wow. <laughs> usually, wow. usually. Right. Usually. Just not this one. Um, uh, but we do have discussions more, but Hey, just for that, to I'm going to like have some great show notes up there. So you better check it out. I like it. I like it. So this will be codingblocks.net slash episode 189. And definitely let's get a discussion up there. I'm sure that there'll be some good, good things that come out of this particular stack overflow overview. And lastly, but not least, if you're not a member of our Slack channel, definitely go up to codingblocks.net slash Slack and join up there. Group full of amazing people. And, you know, if you have any questions or comments or anything, that is a great place to put them because it's really just a, a friendly, awesome group of people up there. That's right. And make sure to follow us on Twitter at CodingBox. We're going to head over to CodingBox on that and you find all of our social delis at the top of the page.